0: Iron Man versus, you know, being, you know, being a summiter of Killy, it has totally different meaning within me. Both of them I honor and respect as world records. I am such a different person in both of those instances, which is fascinating because they're so lumped together as, you know, it's now it's a five-time world record.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Movement Fluidity Podcast, where we share anecdotes and reveal science on the topic of fluid and efficient movement. Here we explore tools for improving movement quality and athleticism for those with and without disabilities. I'm Charlie Grafius and I am studying motor learning and motor control at Teachers College at Columbia University. I was personally born with cerebral palsy and I use myself as a test subject to explore the human mind and body and to prove that anything is possible. My guest today is Bonner Paddock, who is a New York Times bestselling author of One More Step, My Story of Living with Cerebral Palsy, Climbing Kilimanjaro, and Surviving the Hardest Race on Earth. Bonner is also the founder of Project Possible, which is a nonprofit uh, developing projects for disabled children globally. In this interview, We don't get too much into the specifics of the world records that he has completed, so make sure to check out his book. Also, there's a documentary on the same topics in the book. Either way, you don't want to miss this story. I really believe it will change your life, as it did mine. Before we get started, if you enjoyed the podcast in 2023, and or if you are looking forward to new episodes in 2024... Give a New Year's donation with the link below. That would be greatly appreciated. Also, please subscribe, leave a review on Spotify or Apple, and share with somebody who will enjoy this content, especially to start off the new year right. A little update on what I'm up to. So, finished the first semester of grad school. The finals week was definitely a grind, a lot of papers, and definitely pushed it. It was a challenge, but I know I can complete it, and it's just building up the the mental resiliency and analyzing research and stuff. It, it makes me pretty tired. I came home and, and just slept for the first couple days, but uh, overall, great semester, and now I'm back home in Maine spending time with friends and family for a few weeks and have a lot more time for physical training. So, been up to surfing, hiking, lifting, different sports, and also on the topic of building resiliency, building the resiliency of the nervous system, because I think that can carry over to a lot of different things. And when I don't have just as much time to train, then I'll get more of a benefit out of it if my ceiling is higher from these down times where I'm really able to push it. New Year's resolutions, I'm not a huge resolution guy. I think time just goes on. And, you know, if you want to have a habit, just do it now. So with that being said, I'm going to continue to be going after the things that scare me. Since on the other side of fear is greatness. And the more I dive into this, the better my life gets. The more opportunities I get and I hope you guys can do the same in 2024. Hope you guys have a good year and we'll enjoy it together. Gonna be 12 new episodes, one a month as usual, and gonna be the best year yet.
2: Welcome to the podcast, Bonner Paddock. I am very grateful to have you on. You've given me a lot of inspiration over the years and to others with and without CP. Uh, You had a really big impact on me when I was having some hard times with CP-related issues. And I read your book, I believe it was in 2019, and I think I've read it five times now. I've shared it with quite a few people, watched the documentary, and like I said, it's just helped me through a lot of tough times because I feel like we do have a lot in common, both living with CP and both wanting to push the physical and mental limits of what is possible. Uh, you also got me into hiking. I have, haven't done anything quite like Kilimanjaro yet, but definitely plan to someday. And also competing competing in an iron, Ironman is on my bucket list. So uh, great inspiration. I just want to I can't thank you enough. So welcome to the show, Bonnie.
0: Thank you for having me. And wow, that's a a really nice introduction. Um, I know the interview is about me, but as we get in, I'd love to kind of hear, you know, a little bit more about the time that you were having that you said I helped you through or at least reading the book or anything else like that, CP related. So we'd love to know what I've shared that helped you identify through your challenges and your journey specifically because I for when I meet other people with CP or, or something challenging in their lives that they resonated with I really enjoy hearing uh, those specific experiences because I hear the nice things that people say about yeah this really helped me or just you know reading the book helped me I like hearing the actual specific moments or things that helps me stay more open and and share more freely so that I sometimes am totally blown away by what actually resonates with somebody else based on my share.
2: Of course. Yeah. As you answer the questions, I will jump in and share little bits about my story so you can, can hear some of that. So do you want to start off with a Background on your early life growing up with CP and how it affected you?
0: Sure. Uh, I was born in uh, Southern California in 1975. And my early life with CP was probably maybe different than what I've heard other people share with me specifically. Is my family and I didn't really talk about it for my first 30 years of my life. And I was misdiagnosed actually until i was 11 years old so there is a lot of unknown and a lot of blank spaces i would say or gaps within my childhood regarding cp or even uh remembering any conversations directly about these things except being teased uh, by for the way i walk being many accidents, tripping and falling, skateboarding. I broke my arm. I broke my fingers many times, tripping, uh, also playing soccer as a goalie because I couldn't run very well and love soccer, was very good. I uh, hand coordination, but was put in goal because I couldn't run very well. So there were so many signs and it's a very unique, I would say, upbringing with CP from what I have heard other people share with me. In the sense that nobody really said, Bonner, you have CP. Do you have any questions in my family? Nobody said any of those things. So the amount of doctor's appointments and everything I went to was very odd. And then it just, I remember just almost numbing out every time I'd go to doctor's appointments because I was like, great, another doctor appointment, a great, you know, I just hated going to the doctors because I went so much. I think I have blocked it out when they would say CP or this or that, I just was like, I just knew there was something different about me. And so it was a very odd childhood in that sense, uh, that there wasn't a place that I felt or knew how to really get curious about why I tripped a lot, why I was teased for walking differently, why I was pigeon toed, which I do remember that they said I have to have special shoes because I was pigeon toed. So those are like the things But I remember, I know I had to go to physical therapy because of the way I walked and that my legs were very skinny. And I don't remember a lot of the words, you know, cerebral palsy or CP or anything, or hey, you've got a disability and do you have any questions about it? There wasn't curiosity in my family. We just didn't really talk about any problems really in our family. Those were just kind of swept under the rug and not talked about so i grew up in a very different space of not knowing a big chunk of who i was per se or at least what i had and that is an interesting journey to move through that uh parents got divorced when i was eight so that just only disconnected the communication even more and it made it very difficult to kind of have that understanding of how to handle challenges, how to handle adversity. We just sucked it up is what we were told. We weren't allowed to cry. Uh, if not, we, it was, there was some shaming going on with if you cried because boys don't cry, you know, is what we were told. Uh, I have two older brothers. Uh, one was an extremely insane, good athlete. So grew up going to a lot of his sporting events and everything. Middle brother was the kind of the people pleaser, quiet, You know, took everything on and I was closer to him. And then I was the youngest. So uh, I did spend a lot of time alone. I did sit, my bedroom was kind of my safe place to do my games and everything like that. And at the end of the day, I felt safest in that space. So I did spend a lot of alone time, didn't have a ton of friends or didn't feel really close to a lot of people, but did have friends and did do some things played sports. Normally there was no adaptive sports. There was no, anything like that because we didn't talk about it. So I played normal little league baseball, uh, made all-star teams on that pitched. Cause again, didn't have to run a lot when you pitched, uh, played catcher. Uh, even though I really don't have an equilibrium per se, or as you know, just, I always use that as an example for non CP people so that they can kind of understand or relate that it's basically like not having an equilibrium. So terrible balance issues. And then soccer, like I said earlier, and those were kind of, and basketball, I just, as we got older, I just couldn't really play with the kids as they got better. So I could just shoot the ball real well, uh, but couldn't, um, play, uh, defense, you know, moving the feet was very hard for me. The f- eye feet coordination is what is most affected for me. I have spastic diplegia CP. So, uh, for me, the coordination seems to greater affect my feet and also one side over the other. So I hope that helps. Did I kind of cover at least roughly what childhood was like or growing up was like? I gave it pretty quick uh, glance over, but those I think were the big things that popped in my mind.
2: Yeah, that was perfect. What was the diagnosis before you were actually diagnosed with CP or was there just no diagnosis?
0: No, there was diagnosis. So I broke my arm in half multiple times. I've got a huge scar and everything like that. To say that I was a daredevil, I wouldn't say I was a daredevil, but I was definitely a hard charger. Uh, I was a very stubborn kid and did not like take a no for an answer. So uh, I was in the ER a lot uh, with broken bones. And it was this more casual like, hey, he walks like this, what do you think it is? Or, Or the doctor would say, hey, I noticed, what does your son have? And this is the story my mom told me cuz I don't remember any of these things at these appointments. Um and she would just say I'm not real sure what do you think he has. And so it was like kind of those things and uh she claims that there was like six or seven different doctors that I was having other appointments with and two of them said syringomyelia. And I had no idea what the hell that was. And so But I had to look it up and I couldn't even pronounce it up until the book was written because we talked about it so much. But that's actually a disease. My understanding of it is and my recollection, because it was years ago, was that there's a disease that it basically is gross or some types of tumors that grow on the spine and eventually sever the spine and you become paralyzed. And but nobody did any MRIs or CAT scans or anything. So looking back, like honestly, none of that stuff was. I say would be very well diagnosed, they were just almost like quick glimpse what they thought it might be kind of thing is what I would have guessed, because there was no a ton of testing until I met Dr. Arnold Starr at 11 years old, and he ran me through the MRIs and CAT scans and everything, and then diagnosed me with CP.
2: Gotcha. Well, I can relate to a lot of what you said. I was diagnosed earlier, though. I was diagnosed at two years old, and... Spastic diplegia as well, both legs affected, and I was also a very stubborn kid that wanted to play sports and wanted to compete with the kids who did not have a disability, and when I couldn't do that, it was very frustrating. I've been in the ER and with lots of broken bones as well. I even broke all four limbs in one calendar year, so I think that that's got to be some sort of record.
0: (laughs) You got me beat. You got me beat on that one.
2: <laughs> but two of them from soccer, actually one, one broken arm from playing goalie, one broken arm from just tripping on the ball. Uh, so soccer with CP can be a little bit dangerous. This is true. And I also had nothing in terms of adaptive sports, so was just competing with the uh, healthy children. You talked a little bit about this, but if you could go into did you feel ashamed of having CP? I know you said your family just completely shut it out, but before you were diagnosed with CP and then even after the diagnosis, were you ashamed of just realizing that you moved differently than other people?
0: Yes. The the, the simple answer is yes and is 100%. Definitely had a complex around that. Definitely knew, tried to walk straighter. Try to do the heel to toe ground, which for those that have CP that affects their legs know how hard it is for us to get that heel to toe uh, movement, the rolling of the ankle, you know, we're very stiff. And that uh, was what stuck out the biggest sore thumb that I remember most being teased about. And so it was right there in my face. Uh, even at home, there were times that I recall comments of like, you know, don't be so you're such a klutz, you know, like pick up your damn feet. Like, can't you walk? Like, you know, so I remember those types of comments and it gave me a great, you know, unfortunately a very big complex around it and was hyper aware of what people thought of my skinny, skinny, uh, legs and everything like that. And at the end I basically was like, Hmm, how do I, avoid or hide all those things, even though I love to wear shorts and grew up in Southern California. So there wasn't like pants that I could do to hide that. My feet were extremely big uh, comparative to the ratio of my body and the size of my legs. My my feet were absolutely ginormous. And and people would call me um, flipper or thumper, the, like the rabbit. So because they'd hear me walking and running down the hallway at school. And so It gave me a tremendous i would say complex or just you know very aware that um there is something very different about me regarding my legs and how i walk and it almost drove me in some ways and it also just hurt you know and so that's why i think i spent a lot more time alone as much as i wanted people to as much as i wanted friends I didn't want to hear the ribbing you know and jokes that my friends would you know do and i understand they didn't understand how much that would hurt either as we all i think growing up we don't realize how much the teasing hurts us until later so i think definitely was really aware of it from as early as i could remember and just desperately trying to fit in and hide it as much as i could is what i recall
2: yeah same here man i i know exactly what you're talking about and I think this would be a good segue for me to tell a little bit about my story of how your book helped me
0: that'd be awesome I'd love that
2: yeah so I completely pushed off the idea that I was that I had a disability to my most of my friends and family and it was just a word we didn't talk about and middle school was probably the roughest time for me with the bullying and trying to fit in and then I found my sport in baseball and I was a left-handed pitcher and like you said you know pitching is mainly you can get away with using pretty much just your arm and you know maybe not to the highest levels but in high school and and middle school you know I could get away with just standing on the mound and not having to run much so becoming a baseball player became my identity and I played through high school and into college. And it was really, it was the best thing for me at the time because I loved it, but it was also the worst thing for me because I could continue to emotionally push aside the CP and almost just bypass it from having the identity of an athlete without actually moving much and just throwing a ball. So it was my sophomore year of college I played for the first year and a half in college and was all in on baseball and ended up getting cut from the baseball team, which was a huge surprise to me. And that was right around the same time as the pandemic started. So went home for a little bit and had a lot of self-reflection time. And my mom, who I was, I've been closest with, for my whole life. She she knew that CP had something to do with maybe my actions of holding stuff in and, you know, just anger, but I don't think she completely put her finger on it. But she gave me your book and actually, I'm not sure if she gave it to me or I looked it up on my own. But either way, I read the book during that time and it prompted me to start opening up about it. And I remember one night at dinner, I just mentioned, I said something about CP to her. And it was the first time I had probably ever said the word, words cerebral palsy when relating to myself. And that just started the cascade of opening up to other family members, opening up to friends, and also reading other books related to CP and that got me back into the academics, which I was pretty close to plunking out at the time because I was just focused on baseball. Allowed me to turn my grades around, and now I'm an avid reader, and I'm in grad school studying CP, and in a lab working with kids with CP, and your book was the first book that I read on my own. You know, in school would skim books or do the SparkNotes version, but The first book that I consciously read on my own was yours and it really did turn my life around and get me out of a very dark place because my whole identity was stolen when I was cut from the baseball team.
0: Interesting. Beautifully said. First and foremost, thank you for sharing and just appreciate your willingness to dive into yourself and know that there was something that just wasn't you weren't connected with that you know you wanted to in some form and to be willing to turn inward because i blamed a lot of people most of my life for my problems instead of learning how to go inward and understand how to heal the things some of the things we've talked about plus other family dynamics that we all have that created a lot of our wounds and traumas um, most of them unintentional by our family members huge kudos to you man and i love that you're doing it at the age you are versus when i started doing that in my early 40s you know it's going to it's going to pay greater dividends in your life than anything you'll ever do other sports anything else what you just explained and shared that you did will do more in your life than you could ever probably combine everything else so all my world records all my anything like that the inner work that I'm doing and what you're talking about is the inner work you're doing to getting to know all of you to learn parts of you that you didn't have any relationship with at all and getting to know how those are and how beautiful they can be. um, when looked through a healthy uh, lens is amazing and at your age is going to just it's the world is actually truly in front of you now because you chose to do that you know, during the very darkest your one of your what we call dark night of the souls, you know, things, you really have chosen an amazing path to do that because that's where the true peace and love and freedom we all want in life, it's all within us. So well done, brother.
2: Thank you so much, Bonner. I really appreciate it, man. So when you turned inwards, you started out being ashamed of having CP. Was that introspection able to transition into seeing CP as a gift now?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, I wouldn't, when I wouldn't be on this podcast too, I would not have probably everybody except for family that I was born into pretty much everybody else in my life. I would not have if I didn't have CP, not that the, that, whatever that journey would look like. It's not that I wouldn't have meaningful people, the meaning that I feel like I have now and the understanding of who I am on this journey is a big part because of CP and having to go learn that this is a very big part of me that I both hid and that's, and was painfully obvious to anybody else besides myself, which is a tremendously nuts dynamic. If you think about it to have complete polarity between one thing was my first example of how great polarity can be and that it can take up an insane large amount of me in terms of weight on myself. And I needed to release that. And what I feel like I heard you say is that it released a big weight off of your shoulders to, to begin to go inward and talk about it and start to learn that part of you and and be more uh, in tune or connected to that part. And So that's what I had to learn how to do was continue to take all of the dynamics of my life, CP being a huge one and allowing it to actually show me what gifts each of them have. And it's hard sometimes because I don't like when my legs get tired, you know, it seems like I don't like that. I feel like, you know, having tight muscles and everything like that at the end of a normal day. And it's like, why am I more tired than most people at the end of the day? I've had to learn though that the gifts of CP has created my entire network and the impact that I'm having in this world is truly the main spur of that or the main ignition to that is because I have CP. And without that, I don't think I have a foundation. I don't. I know I don't have Jakey's family in my life. And I don't have the entire deeper understanding of how something that may look to most people as a disability is actually something that is providing the greatest freedom and power that I could ever imagine being given is that gift of CP. I've said it already
2: a few times, but I couldn't agree more. The holding in the emotions about CP really did affect everything for me and it seems like it did for you too and you know on the surface it seems like it just impacts your physical ability but especially as a kid like we were who, who were trying to fit in and you know express ourselves through physical activity it ties in with all the emotional and and mental aspects too and it just it affected everything and peeling back those layers for me also just was the most amazing feeling ever because I pushed it down for so long. And then as I peeled back those layers, the different connections and opportunities arose and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. So it's, it's, it's a gift for me as well. And it took me a while to realize that, but it's, uh, the best gift that anyone could, could ever have given me in your book, Bonner. You talk a little bit and also on on interviews I've heard, you talk about the difference between physical and mental wounds and how this relates to what you refer to as living beyond limits. Could you go into depth a little bit about the difference between these physical and mental wounds?
0: Sure, physical wounds for me are what I think are much more visible to the external and can heal over time almost on their own. Yes. You got to put a little, you know, antibacterial cream or other things that like, if you, you know, hurt yourself per se, physically, it's, it's more noticeable physically and easier to heal without much attention to it. The mental wounding that, that I experienced, and it seems that we all experience on this journey, but I can only speak for myself is the mental wounds are much more difficult to uncover. And it takes, myself and those people that I trust and are close to, to help shine light and bring awareness to what those mental um, wounds are that I carry and having the space and understanding that it's up to me to heal those wounds, even though I did not cause most of those to myself, especially growing up when we were kids and to allow myself to forgive those that cause the wounds most unintentional and some intentional, but the ability to give and give forgiveness and release levels of anger that are very unhealthy where I, it's never going to be zero. We're never going to have zero anger. We're never going to have zero fear. We're never going to have, you know, this endless love that is everything is just love all the time. It's it, that's not how this journey works in my opinion. Those things, though, called mental wounds or traumas or conditionings are very important to to go self-discover through our own journey going inward. And normally when you have a physical wound, you see it, it's bleeding or there's bruising or there's pain or, you know, it's very noticeable and easy to per se diagnose that. The mental stuff is so multi-layered and is such a complex spider web within our journey that some of them that we will never fully understand uh why something happened and also letting us know that the unknown or that the an actual closure from something external may never happen both of those may never happen and to accept it as is is truly one of the lifetime and you know works of myself that i got to keep doing is acceptance of things that don't make sense that are those mental wounds that it's like i may just not understand those and the ability to accept cp and accept you know experiences that like being cut from the baseball team very surprising there's a beautiful lesson in there you may not know what that is may never And you also, it may hit you one day, six and a half years later at the most random time, you could be just walking and boom, there it is. It's like, holy moly, you know, and I've had all of those types of experiences and allowing them and accepting them is actually releasing 99% of those mental wounds and getting to know those parts of me that they're lovable and that they're okay. And imperfection is truly what we all are and so accepting my cp and other things that make me look different are the mental wounds that i needed to as well as the physical wounds Um, acceptance of those types of things is paramount so they're very different yet the ultimate thing at the end is accepting that they happen accepting that there's lessons in why i broke my arm in half so many times and was in a cast and all these things as well as why did these experiences that created some of these mental wounds and traumas happen to me accepting those as I learn about them and just creating awareness to try to do my best each time while not perfect and do get upset and do get short sometimes. And those are all part of the journey. And for me to continue to work through each of those gives me more and more energy and strength, knowing that whatever comes my way, I can handle it if I truly want to do it.
2: Wow. Yeah. The acceptance part is something I've definitely struggled with and still haven't you know it's still a a work in progress in terms of CP but when I got cut from the team it was just pure revenge you know I was working very hard I was working out and doing throwing programs and whatnot all you know motivated by revenge and then even as I started to dive into the CP research and other books on CP. It was all because I wanted to get back at these people who doubted me and the doctors who told me things weren't possible. And it's, you know, just such a work in progress for me to still be on the same path I am, but to make sure that I'm doing it out of just love for other people and wanting to help my experiences be able to help others from firsthand knowledge, instead of being fueled by revenge and anger. So it's something I feel like is never gonna be, like you said, 100%, but something I'm working on every day.
0: In the, I think we're all in the same boat, even to get to that place uh, is so important, knowing that we have healthy anger and how to move anger you know, in a healthy way is so important. I had to learn that, versus like you said, my first world record was Kili 15 years ago was through anger was through fear. You know, it was through that channel that I was like, I'm going to show everybody that doubted me. Nope. I'm, I'm going to stick it to those folks. That's literally what Kilimanjaro was. And it was primarily aimed at my family and the way that I grew up, but I didn't know that then, except that I just had a lot of anger towards them when I was on, on the mountain and I wasn't expecting it. And it was very scary and it caused about a good year of deep depression because I was not excited when I came back. Like that wore off, you know, a week or two after summoning Killy, after the hoorah and everything. And then as the adrenaline goes down, it was the reality of like, wow, this I unearthed some part of me that is just gross. You know, like at that time I thought it was gross and that it scared me that there was that much anger and stuff inside me. And that it could drive me to something that looked good on the outside. Like we talked about mental and physical wounds, but mentally I wasn't okay inside, you know, it was even more tumultuous and it was more empty. And it just put me in these spaces that said, you know, I just want to withdraw. I want to hide out and then numb out, you know, and everything like that. So I just partied and, you know, had these people that, you know, I had a very successful, I was very successful in business then. And I just utilized that as my platform to hide. And it was a very unhealthy. And knowing that, that I came from that place of fear, I still had more bottom to go, which was scary. But Kelly was literally just unearthed a whole part of me that I really had shoved away for, you know, 30 something years. And then that that continued for almost another 10 years after that, in terms of the behaviors that were not healthy. And until I met Welchie, uh, with the Ironman training and everything else, he was like, that approach won't work for Ironman. There's no way in hell. He goes, you are even coming close to completing the, the Ironman world championship with an attitude that got you to Killy. And I was like, I appreciate that. So he was the one that began to get me more understanding of a different approach through love, accepting my body, accepting my limitations, and seeing how I can maximize my potential with the limitations that life is giving me. And I never really approached things like that. It was the stubborn, like we talked about, and I'm just going to bull rush right through these things. And it was a very unemotional approach to life. And it was very successful in business uh, because business is a lot less emotion. If not, not much at all, if you're really good at it and you can take the personal stuff out of it you can achieve great success in business like we're seeing in the world. And then we also see the shadow side of those folks is they're miserable. You know, they spend it on ridiculous things that they don't even know they want or need, but it's what people think it's what they think they want or need to look cool, to look powerful, to look like, you know, they're successful of what society puts labels on what success looks like, what sexiness should look like. You know, I allowed that to be the driver for me for so long. And then doing this work now, I've realized what's really the drivers behind that. And is that actually healthy? Is that really me? Do I really want that? Or do I really need that? And if if it's if it's no on do I really want that or do, do I really need that? I don't do them anymore. I don't buy them anymore. And it's gone amazingly simplifying, not easy, but it's simplified my life of really understanding what I want and really what I need in my life. And it's awesome. And it's created more room for curiosity. It's created more room for me to focus on what I think is most important. And that's having the maximum impact of everybody uh, around me because I am more focused. I know what my passion and purpose is in life now. And that is my highest priority is to stay. Do I have passion about this? Is this my purpose? If it's not, and the people don't motivate me that are around me, I don't give them my time and energy. And that's such an important filter that I added in my journey is if you're not inspiring me, and if you're not bringing something to the table that continues to help motivate me and push me by the way they live their life, they don't have to tell me things. They don't have to tell me I'm great. They don't have to tell me anything about myself but the people that are closest to me in my life are people that are going for it in their life. They are passionate about it. They have purpose behind it and serving others in their own way. And they're building their own life that I look at and be like, hell yeah, that's awesome. Like it's not what I want in my life and it doesn't matter, but they inspire me because they're figuring out what they want in their life and they're doing it and they're willing to go, Forward, that means I'm moving forward, you know, like I'm doing something per se, even that, and that gets to the one more step. It's like, even when things are difficult, if you can just, if you feel like you're stuck in the mud in life and you're, you know, you're having a really hard time, you've hit rock bottom, or you're just having a really big struggle. Sometimes it's just taking that one more step forward in that mud. And it's like figuring out, okay, where I'm at. Yep. Both legs are deep in the knee, deep in the mud. And if I wiggle this and wiggle that, and I can slowly get one leg out and even just take, you know, a six inch step forward, my one more step is still moving me in that healthy direction of what I still see as my passion or my purpose. So I'm not losing my direction. My speed will slide up and down and you don't always have to be going super fast but you pause or life will tell you to pause, like getting stuck in the mud through some challenge in life. And then it gives you the chance to say, am I still pointed in the right direction? If not, how do I adjust and take one more step forward again? And that's why the book is called One More Step is through the journey and especially for like myself, you know, sometimes taking a step even looks hard by people looking like, wow, did you hurt your knees? You hurt your hip, you know, what's wrong with your leg? You know, so one more step sometimes even looks really maybe uncomfortable or awkward or it hurts. The point is it doesn't matter what it looks like, put make that choice to make one more step forward. Don't go backwards.
2: So when you did the Iron Man with that change in mindset compared to Kilimanjaro the first time, did the ability to take one more step feel different mentally and physically because of that
1: outlook?
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think kind of like uh, what Welchie said going back, there's no chance I'm finishing Ironman with the mindset that I had going into Killy, which was not, it was only focused on getting on the top, not enjoying the journey, not in taking that one more step being, I can remember so many times within the Ironman race, what I was feeling, what I was thinking, You know, like where, what I was doing and those made that journey of Ironman from the race to all the trainings so much more memorable and such a greater impact on me because I was smelling the roses more often there. You know, I was stopping and just not stopping in the race, but I was back to present, not just focusing on finish, 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 you know, uh, like I did on Killy. I was like wow it's pretty amazing you know it's beautiful holy cow you know like what a ride there was more reflection there was more grace for things not going well in a moment i was more willing to laugh and not just be like like you said when you got cuffed on the baseball team it's like when things go wrong i I used to have this doomsday attitude like i'd just get so upset and the world's gonna i just want to burn the world to the ground and It didn't get me anywhere and who the hell wants to be around that anyways is what i think about now is god i had such a crappy attitude like who wants to be around me if i'm kicking things because things don't go right or i'm yelling or i'm projecting you know my anger on and that's what i was like so i always say being iron man versus you know being you know being a summiter of Killy, it has totally different meaning within me both of them i honor and respect as world records I am such a different person in both of those instances which is fascinating because they're so lumped together as you know it's now it's a five-time world record holder but it's like people link those two things and I'm like yeah but god that that version of Bonner each of those is like so different and even both of those are so different than who I am today and I love that and I honor that And I always try to explain to people that it doesn't, we're never going to be the same. We're not even the same as when we started this conversation. You and I are changed because of this. And if we don't realize that, then we're going to absolutely really hold ourselves back. And that's what I'm just trying not to do is I'm trying to get out of my own way, you know, and just letting the curiosity and the instincts and all these things that I feel like society and my family, and other things really stymie our curiosity and really stymie our uh, abilities to ask questions and you know and just say I don't know you know and allowing ourselves to make mistakes of others if we don't forgive ourselves for the choices we made that we know are wrong or that we know are hurtful to somebody. Um, there's a lot of guilt and shame that go along with that. So, how do we continue to reflect on those things, not hold them over our own heads, which then we will hold over other people's heads because it's the mirror that we see in, we see ourselves in everybody we come across. So I see myself in you in many ways. And then the lessons and journeys is people that I meet for two minutes. And it's like, why the hell is this person aggravating the hell out of me? I don't know this person. They're standing in front of me in the checkout line. Why are these people pissing me off? And it's like, Oh yeah, they're a mirror of me acting like, i did or a part of me did when things weren't going right when i was having a temper tantrum as a kid and so i gotta have compassion for them and say wow they're having a you know really bad moment or they're really they're really upset and that sucks and also say it ain't my it's not me that they should be affecting like this level so let it go and just don't need to get involved and let them have their moment and move on and it's it's interesting to kind of see that better each time while also still knowing when i get triggered and not do anything more than what i used to do and come back and say nope that's not you anymore you know that part of you and you can have empathy be like wow yeah i remember when i was like that i would have my own temper tantrums or i would you know want to quit on something or run away or hide in these moments and i'm not going to this time that's work that's absolutely bigger victories than anything that i've done in the physical manner there's there those are priceless those are things in life that allow us to get connected so much more inside of us which then allows deeper connections with everybody else and the world that we're experiencing
2: yeah i feel like the mental wounds are also a blessing just because you're able to get more more empathy out of it and be able to make better decisions and help other people more. So an, another gift is, is those hard times. How about the second time you did Kilimanjaro? I just saw on Instagram a few months ago that you hiked it for a second time. And I'm guessing, I could be wrong here, but was it because... You wanted to complete it with that shift in mindset.
0: Uh, no, the, the the reason it all came about was uh, Jakey, the boy that inspired you know everything, my foundation, World Records, everything else. His father, who I'm you know is a I love him like a brother and close to his family. He wanted to do it, and it came up in a random conversation with us, just having lunch with a couple of his sons, and they were all in. And so it was just literally in five minutes over a casual lunch that it happened that we were actually like, wow, uh, did this just happen? Did we just agree to climb Kili next year? Because it was last year when we opened our huge facility in California. They were out to tour the facility and everything else. So we were having lunch beforehand before we went over to the to the Team Jake Center to show them this brand new state-of-the-art facility that's you know our global headquarters it just came up and it was hilarious and we just laughed about it and that's literally how it birthed and then I reached out to some donors and people that have been a big part of team Jake and project possible for a long time and just said you know you guys have always said you wanted to climb this if I ever did it again well we're doing it and so it became a celebration of all of us that went on the climb everybody that was part of it had a key part in making project possible and team Jake, what it is today. And so it turned into this, like, you know, I always call it, which is funny. I can joke about it now, but I would have taken offense to it 15 years ago, but we called ourselves the band of misfits because if you look at any, most of us on paper, there's like, there's no way in hell, like we should be on a mountain together and who the hell is going to lead us up there. Like we're going to bump into each other. That was like the jokes. But it was such a different experience it was very loving it sucked so i will not sugarcoat this it wasn't like i just screamed up that mountain you know like doing backwards moonwalk no it sucked but it was beautiful to embrace the suck with people you love in a loving way and so it was such a different energy in the in the base camps on the trails because people that were having issues there was i was able to support them versus me through Killy and iron man it was all about me this one wasn't about me this one was about us celebrating jakey and that jakey's family is here and it was like i was almost a footnote which was so great and it's something that i i appreciate the limelight that i've gotten and those folks that have supported me and and you know helped me achieve what i'm doing and it was very nice just to kind of be like amongst everybody and and not have to feel like i everything hinged on what i did on that mountain it was not about me at all cuz i've already been to the top and the pressure was way lower for me and it was more about just experiencing this whole trip with these people that i love dearly and that have been such a key part of what we're doing in this world today.
2: Oh, interesting. That must have been an amazing journey.
0: It was.
2: (laughs) You touched a little bit on your, on Project Possible and the facility in California, but could you give a brief explanation on what you do with Project Possible?
0: Yeah, I formed a global foundation about 15 years ago after climbing Kili the first time, just to try to raise enough money to build a center in Tanzania where we were able to see firsthand that wow like these kids don't have a lot of opportunities and we came across a project um at this amazing school that's a primary school like an elementary school and it's 100 disabled kids and it's called the faraja school and we were like and their physical therapy center was unfortunately just you know not funded well because it's they're focused on education and i saw a great opportunity for us to balance they're nourishing their minds doing educationally wise we think we're going to give these children the best opportunity to succeed in a, a part of the world where disabled kids aren't really understood and you're not seeing i think the success because they don't have great access to the proper things that are needed for disabled kids we are giving them that opportunity to break that glass ceiling and really see their potential you know fully tapped into at a young age which you and i know the earlier kids can get services for their disability the better they will be you know as they are older to get those muscles developed get them age makes a massive difference in where their their kind of ceiling will be as an adult and to partner on that and then raise the funds and build the foundation, it, it just exploded because they did a documentary short after that, um, as we were getting, raising the money to build that first center. So then there was a documentary and, and some people in Hollywood got behind it and it just raised the profile of my foundation, like, like a rocket ship. And I was just hanging on in the back. And then, uh, as the world, as we did another world record, uh, the book came out one more step. And then that became a New York Times bestselling book. And again, a uh, next level of holy crap, like what, what's happening here? And so we just keep opening centers all over the world that are primarily physical therapy centers, but we have occupational and speech therapy as well in most of them. So the center, so the, the Project Possible, which is the name of the foundation got so big, we figured we needed a global partner to help train all of our centers. So we built the Team Jake Virtual Center in Southern California, where I grew up, as well as it's, it it can house up to I think there's 28 exam rooms in it, so it can help all of the children in Southern California that are on Medi-Cal or Medicare, it can't afford you know good services, and even if you don't have Medi-Cal or Medicare, so if you don't have any insurance, you are still accepted there, and it's with Children's Hospital Orange County that runs it. And it's just a beautiful facility that now trains all of our centers globally. So not only are we building the centers and getting people that are in there that are trained well, we're just helping them raise their own abilities as well. And that will only maximize the impact that each of those communities has for their disabled kids. And so, yeah, 15 years later, we are, uh, we got six centers in five countries and Uh, we have massive expansion plans on the horizon we've developed a software program that we're beta testing in 2024 that actually will store everything medical records social there'll be a social component for families uh, with disabilities on it all over the world and then there will be an entire video library for people even if they don't have access to a center that will have uh, help them through whatever disability their child has to learn more about it even as a basis model and then uh, we can increase it there with live trainings, live diagnosis with our medical team here in the United States. So it's gonna have a massive impact in this world. We think you know, in perpetuity is kind of how we're building it. And this is the final phase of that. And then a research and development component to continue to develop better equipment and everything else that can be utilized in developing countries at a much cheaper cost than what it costs to build in the United States is our final two components of the puzzle that I've designed uh, with the help of all the people on the board to when I walk out this door, whenever I take a permanent dirt nap, this foundation and everything will roll on uh, based on what we've raised and how we built the center so that it will continue to go on as long as people want to manage the ship.
2: First of all, I've never heard of a permanent dirt nap, but that's hilarious. Second, I mean, absolutely incredible, Ben. I, I just, I love your approach because not only are you targeting individuals with disabilities, but also, especially those with the socioeconomic factors that can really impact this disability, which I'm seeing firsthand in the lab I'm working at. And you know, for example, at the engineering school here, they have this amazing, it's called a trust device that. Is at least a million dollars. I don't know exactly how much, but probably millions of dollars. And one kid at a time can use it, and you know it's showing promising results. But at the end of the day, it needs to be accessible, whether it's a intervention or a device for many people, and especially those that are not getting that right now. So uh, just everything you've done with Project Possible, I is absolutely incredible, and I hope to see one of the or multiple foundations someday in person uh, when I get to meet you someday.
0: You're always invited. Yeah. What what we always try to let people know is anybody can come to our centers, you know, um, being in other countries, the limitations and certifications needed for that is just love. That's it. You know, you don't have to have a certain certification to hold a child or anything in any of our centers in the other countries. It's about just coming there. And if you want to spend time with the kids and you want to help however you want while there, you can stay a day, you can stay a week, you can stay a year, whatever you want, we'll figure it out. But people love that because it's, you can go touch the centers. You can go feel, you know, smell, taste, everything. Like you can go there and experience the magic that's happening with the local charity because we only empower local charities. We're a hundred percent volunteer organization, including myself, So nobody gets paid for anything. We all pay our own way out of our own pocket for travel and everything else. So our doctors, myself, everybody pays their own way for these trips and we only fund through local organizations that are not government affiliated. So we're empowering people within their own communities to have a greater impact. There's no greater people that want to make an impact in the in those areas than people that live there. Not us. We don't know how to do East Africa well, but they do. And so we're just supporting them. We're only enhancing what they want to do or can do with the amazing team of people we've got. And I've learned that we don't always have to have the whole staff and everything else. But if what I was good at business is linking people together and thinking way outside of the box. Now I can focus at a hundred percent of my life, just doing this for the foundation. And I think that's the greatest gift I can do. And it wouldn't be possible without CP.
2: Wow. Oh, well, I will definitely be visiting someday and I'm looking forward to it. Well, last question for you, Bonner. One I ask every yep. guest What does movement fluidity mean to you?
0: Interesting. So the way I read that question is movement fluidity means two things. One is the shadow side or the side that I initially went to was like most people, I feel this is the story I have within my head is most people look at me and think I don't have good movement fluidity based on the way I walk what i also hear in that question is it means that i by being the best that i can i'm giving my body the greatest movement fluidity i can and to me it actually feels the most fluid i can be it may look very different to somebody else that i don't have good movement fluidity by the rigidness that they describe in some form or fashion i think you know i'm moving very well there's also days and moments that I'm like wow this this motor neuro is not working well today like it's just a bigger struggle so I feel like I know really well when I'm having good fluidity and movement and when I am not and I I think that's the best way that I hear that I heard your question is kind of the two sides that came popped up initially
2: yeah it's all relative for each one of us on a given day 100 percent well, Bonner, I appreciate your time. Do you want to give the listeners info on where they can find you on social media or your website?
0: Yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, main area—we're not—we we need to get better at posting, but Instagram is good. Um, it's at ProjectPossible.org is the handle on Instagram, and the website is ProjectPossible.org. So, if they want to learn more about all of our centers. Uh, they can go on there and everything, and learn everything that we got, including about the book and everything else. But books on Amazon, every major platform, there's an Audible. I actually read it, so if you're not tired of my voice yet and you want to hear another eight hours of my voice, you can uh, buy the Audible. By the way, 100% of proceeds for the book, we have the rights to the book now, so every book and every Audible and any other way, 100% of the proceeds goes to my foundation. So. Ah, uh, we have everything under one roof now, which is fantastic, and will always stay there for the rest of it. People want to buy it, so I appreciate you having me on too, man. It's been an honor. We've talked a bunch through social media and everything, so uh, I appreciate the opportunity and invite to be on your podcast. Uh, I, you're doing awesome, and I, I, like I said, I'm excited uh, where you're at in your journey.
2: Thanks for coming on, Bonner, and definitely check out the book and the documentary because there's a lot we didn't get into today. And everything from Jake's story to the intricacies of each journey, Kilimanjaro and the Iron Man, you guys won't want to miss it. So check it out. Thanks, Bonner.
0: Thanks, man.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Movement Fluidity Podcast. If you've been enjoying this podcast in 2023, please subscribe, leave a review on Apple or Spotify. And You can support future episodes of the podcast by giving a small monthly donation using the link in the description below. If you know anybody that would be a good guest in a future episode, please contact me. Thanks, guys. Happy 2024.